Our God and Father, we pray that you would shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that uh, we would see him high and lifted up, his glory filling his church, and that uh, we with the angels would cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and that we would be led to love Jesus more because he loved us first that we would be led to cry out, Abba, Father, because we're taught by the Spirit of Christ working in us, because Jesus first cried out, Abba, Father, in his need. And so please help me to speak and to make known your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to cherish it. We pray that you would write your law and your word in our minds and in our hearts, that we might, above all things, choose Jesus. And from that, love him and love one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is God's word in Luke chapter 10 at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That is the word of God in the New Testament. And uh, I just want to acknowledge right off the bat that at our church, my wife is on the hospitality committee, and um, they're having a fellowship meal also. And she often has to slip away from the worship service to attend to uh, casseroles and other delights that need to be warmed or taken from the oven. And sometimes she wrestles with this passage. I don't know if you do, especially many of our hardworking sisters who serve the church in this capacity have wrestled with this passage. So I hope that we can see it isn't our Lord unfairly rebuking a sister. And uh, it's not so much a question of, of schedules and calendars and work as it is a matter of our, the Lord looking into our hearts and discerning what is right or wrong with our hearts. And uh, it's quite instructive, I think, that this passage immediately follows in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10 there, the parable of the Good Samaritan, because this passage really does highlight how difficult it is to serve and pour yourself out for others. You know, Jesus had said, "This this is your neighbor, even your stranger. You need to show this kind of love and compassion. Go and do likewise. And how quickly our best intentions can be upset if we don't keep central, if we're not concentrating on the one thing necessary, which is why we're doing this. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he first came to us and served us and loved us. And then it's that motive of love that compels us to serve one another. But we know, I know, I'm sure you know and have experienced how easy it is for that best intention of serving another to become grumbling and resentment when we feel put upon, unappreciated, 
We feel that we're too hectic, too, there's too much on us. We've all felt that. Well, this is a correction, a loving correction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't do it because he's put out with Martha. He does it because he loves her, and he wants her to have the best thing, which is himself. And he loves us and speaks these same things to us. So we consider first that this is a family loved by the Lord. You know, we learn about this family in Luke, I'm sorry, in John chapter 11, that, that, that majestic passage where Jesus raises Lazarus, a member of this household from the dead after being uh, entombed for four days. We read at the beginning of John chapter 11 about this family. Listen carefully. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Those are some of the most powerful words in Scripture. It tells us that the Lord loved this family, and it names them. And uh, in that chapter, it becomes clear that he loves them. And, and even the spectators who came from Jerusalem said, Behold how he loves him when Jesus wept outside the tomb of, of Lazarus. And the sisters described Lazarus as he whom you love. The the love of the Lord Jesus Christ was open and plain, manifest, and his people experienced it. But the point of all this is not that this family was so unique. The reason why this is mentioned is because this is how the Lord Jesus is with all of his people. And when all of us come to the point of death, and when all of us experience this kind of domestic, everyday domestic turmoil, We are a family that the Lord loves. When we're sick, it is a brother or sister that the Lord loves, that we are intimates with him. The author of that that gospel, John's gospel, and I've been reading from chapter 11 there, he could only conceive of himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. And that isn't to indicate that he was so unique. Instead, all this is revealed to us for our wonderment, for our comfort, because all of us are disciples whom Jesus loves, and he loves all of our families. He himself said when his family thought he was crazy, out of his mind, and they came to, to take him away for some R&R, he had to correct that it wasn't his family knocking at the door. He said that all who do the will of God are my mother and brothers and sisters. What is it to do the will of God? Well, it's to believe in his son and to accept his crown rights and to receive his salvation. And then, yes, you are family to Jesus, mother, brothers, sisters. This is a family loved by the Lord. And we learn about them there, especially in that chapter 11. We put all of this together, and it's wonderful for us. But here, into what we might well imagine, you know, Um, a domestic setting that we would imagine is so much different from ours, right? Well, certainly, 
this family is loved by the Lord. They can't be nearly as messed up as my family, right? But there is the glory of Scripture. There is evidence of the divine truthfulness and, and the inspiration of Scripture from God. It's not the word of man because it exposes all of the most embarrassing aspects of even the so-called founders of this religion, the apostles' confusion, abandonments, denials, and betrayals. And here, in a family loved by the Lord, they show all the signs that they're just as messed up as we are, and yet the Lord still loves them. And so we consider Martha. Uh, A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. That's a wonderful thing. We have to, you know, if, if we have a living faith, we don't leave Jesus, you know, balled up in the pew with our, our, uh, our used bulletins. We take him home with us, and we live the life of faith, and we invite him not into our homes only, but into our very souls and our lives, and we acknowledge that every square inch of our souls belongs to him, and that the flag of Christ is over it. Well, she invited him into her house, and we don't know... Uh, the situation, she had a sister called Mary, and um, Lazarus isn't even mentioned here, but Martha is the one who seems to be running the household, so she's an older sister. Uh, Maybe she had married and her husband had died, but um, she seems to be running the household. She's the older sister. That's plain. It's this sibling thing, you know. She's an oldest, and she makes things happen. She makes the show go on. So she, she is thrilled to have Jesus and his large retinue. We can't forget that. Uh, the 12 disciples plus many others are coming into her capacious house and falling to her capable care as she extends hospitality to them. Uh, there's a problem, though. This has happened doubtless countless times before. The younger sister. Very different personality. Is she the middle child or is she the youngest? But she's not helping. And Martha's run into this before, certainly. She has to go chasing down Mary to help out. Martha's very efficient. She gets things done. She's a type A personality. Mary, not so much. She feels deeply. She doesn't have so much sense as sensibility. And here she is, when she should be helping. When Martha's pinched and pressed, under a a tight deadline to get all the food going. Uh, Mary is nowhere to be found instead. Well, Martha does a quick scouting trip around the house, and there is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening intently without a thought of the dinner that must shortly be finished and set for these people to eat. And so Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted. Much serving. We know what that feels like. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Distracted with much serving. We've all been there. Distracted. Led away from that. If you're a woman, these verses are challenging. That gentle and quiet spirit that Peter talks about. Or for us men to find all of our peace uh, in Jesus Christ, our confidence and our trust, when many burdens and duties of leadership and headship fall to us, she was distracted with much serving. I'm a pastor. I know what it's like to be distracted with much serving. The busier I am sometimes, the further I get from Jesus. 
Not always. I mean, to have a busy Lord's Day helps me to spend the day best. But often, you know, the whole round of duties, you need that time with Jesus, indeed, to sit at his feet. Martha was distracted with much teaching. You should seriously consider just for a moment what are the things that distract you. Some duties and weights you just can't shed. Caring for children, caring for loved ones, caring for aged parents, working and trying to put bread on the table. Some things you just can't shed. But you need to try, at least, to acknowledge to yourself, to keep in mind that these things distract you from focusing and gazing on the Lord in his glory. The Christian's best spent time is spent in the useless, impractical, unprofitable, unprofitable duty of simply gazing on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of your good works are good works because, well, they're, they're in outward, you know, outwardly they're what God commands, but they're motivated by love to Jesus Christ. And so when we start serving with distraction and resentment, you know, in God's sight, it is that much less of a good work. We have to have that time just to sit with the Lord Jesus and to rejoice in all that he's done for us. And in that heavenly-mindedness, we are best furnished for earthly usefulness, lest we become distracted with much serving. And so what else happens to Martha is that um, she actually <laughs> she actually goes up to Jesus. This is some cheek because, you know, what did she know about him at this time? She invited, she knew he was a messianic uh, contender to be the Messiah of Israel, to be the long-promised son of David, to throw off the Roman overlords. <laughs> and she marches up to him <laughs> and says, Lord, don't you care? That's a strong woman right there. That's a, I mean, this is a beautiful Christian lady. She's gone a little bit off the tracks, and we all do, but this is a strong lady. She gets things done. But at this point, unfortunately, she's been distracted, and you know what this is like. Okay, so she comes up to Jesus, who came into the world to bear our sins and to die for us, and she says, don't you care? Uh, then she throws her sister under the bus. <clears throat> Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? That's a grumble. That's a complaint. And then finally she tells the Lord of heaven and earth what to do. Tell her to help me. I find this amazing. And this is recorded in scripture of this lovely Christian lady. Not to say that she's the most blameworthy of us all, but it's there because we're all like that. Every single one of us has complained against the Lord. We've thrown one another under the bus. I would just be happy and I would be satisfied if it weren't for... And then we've told the Lord what to do. I cannot serve you or be happy if you do not do this. In fact, I might just throw over the whole thing if this doesn't happen. And if you let this happen, I don't even know. I may just be one of those who used to be a Christian. Oh, we've told him what to do, and we've complained, and that's so different from sitting at his feet. There is the authenticity and realism of Scripture, presenting the weaknesses and strengths of even the best of us, and Martha was one of the best of us, right? And um, 
<clears throat> you know, my, uh, my wife knows this passage now, but, but initially, you know, when we were new Christians, she said, well, is that fair? And Well, there is fairness in Scripture, too. There's this realism, there's, there's this love and grace, and it tells us about Martha elsewhere in John 11, and it shows us Martha using these traits for good to keep her household going in one of the most testing moments that household had ever experienced, the death of the brother Lazarus. In John chapter 11, it's Martha who is there, who's still making things go, and it shows, yes, She's type A, but she's making it happen when her brother has died and when Mary is inconsolable with grief. And she makes one of the greatest professions of faith in Jesus recorded in the New Testament when she says, um, John chapter 11, let me read you a few verses beginning at verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. This is one of the characteristics of the scriptural accounts of Martha and Mary. Martha's always moving and going, and Mary is always sitting somewhere, somewhere, feeling, thinking, ruminating, very different personalities, and they both have strengths. Mary's strength comes out in Luke chapter 10, and Martha's comes out in Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 11, and I go on. Martha went out to see Jesus, who had come back to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. There's Martha's bold faith. And she had initially complained against Jesus, you know, but now it's, it's bold faith. And um, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She can't see what he's going to do. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's an amazing profession of faith. You know, it, it rivals Peter's famous uh, Caesarean profession of Jesus. This was revealed to her by the Father in heaven at the moment of one of her greatest losses, the death of her brother, and the non-appearance of Jesus after 40 days, after, or four days, and after they had already sent a message for him, she still confesses her faith in him while Mary remains at, at, at home. And Mary didn't know that Jesus had come because Martha's taking it all on her own. She's making it happen, running the household, going to see Jesus, you see. And so the Bible presents to us our strengths and weaknesses, and we must know that in certain settings we will be tempted and tested, and in other settings we will be the strength, right? Well, what does it mean um, to be distracted and... Um, to be troubled and anxious. This one author, John Bloom, says this. When we are regularly distracted by something, we need to take note. Our attention often runs to what is important to us. So distraction can reveal what we love. This happened to Jesus' friend, Martha. Martha was busy in the kitchen while Jesus taught in her home. When Martha complained that her sister Mary wasn't helping because she was sitting at Jesus' feet, 
Jesus told her. She was distracted. She was anxious and troubled. Now this. Martha was distracted from Jesus. By what? Serving her guests. Why? Because she was anxious. But anxious about what? Anxious about feeding everyone. And in all likelihood, anxious about what everyone would think of her and her household if she didn't do it well. You see, what makes us, what distracts us and makes us anxious often will reveal to us with a little introspection how we're choosing some good portion other than Jesus and not submitting to his will for us. And so it is a good question. What makes you distracted and what makes you anxious and troubled? And normally if you start scratching beneath the surface of those events are the idols that we carry in our hearts that we so often serve instead of serving Christ. Well, as over against that, uh, Mary uh, has chosen the better portion, the one thing necessary. And now what we find about Mary's strengths are that she is, this is quite striking, three times in Scripture she's recorded as being at the feet of Christ. And this is recorded for our sake, because to be at the feet of Christ is the characteristic place for the Christian. It is the Christian's best place. So, for instance, in Luke chapter 10, of course, it says in verse 39 that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But also in Luke chapter 11, before Jesus raises her brother Lazarus, Martha goes back and tells Mary that that Jesus is there. And Mary runs out. And what does she do? We read that in 11.32, John 11.32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She fell at his feet. And she said exactly what Martha said, because you know they were saying that to each other time and again over those several days when Jesus had delayed. If only Jesus were here, Lazarus would not have died. So she casts herself at his feet. And then the third place in Scripture where she is at his feet is recorded in the next chapter of John, John chapter 12. And Jesus came to Bethany just before the Passover was, and they gave a dinner for him there because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at tables. It just continues the theme, but this time... Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Three times she's recorded at the feet of Jesus. Many, many other people in the Bible are recorded as falling at the feet of Jesus, embracing them to worship, to ask some great request. What does it mean to be at the feet of Jesus? Because this is where every Christian must be. And when you find yourself straying from that most blessed place, you must take yourself back to the feet of Jesus. It means to exercise first, to exercise active trust in Jesus. Number one, to exercise active trust. We can call that faith. We have two cats at home, Scout and Swede. Uh, Swede is is just very confident and, you know, 
trusts us. She wanders around our feet, trips us up, you know, is making herself a constant pain. She trusts us, and generally we don't step on her. Scout is very skittish, very nervous, doesn't trust us like that. Won't get tangled up in our feet because at the slightest noise she scampers away just out of reach. To trust Jesus, to sit at his feet, means you know that he won't step on you. You're able to discern the distinction. The feet of Jesus were made for crushing. He came into the world to crush the serpent's head. And against sin and entrenched evil, he is terrible to behold. And on the last day, the wrath of the lamb will be experienced. The terrible, fierce wrath of the lion of the tribe of Judah will be revealed. His feet came to crush and to tread upon. But for those who trust him, we hear his words. He invites us to himself. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. To sit at his feet, you have to know and feel that Jesus is gentle and humble at heart and that he will never, ever hurt you. Instead, he came into the world for your sake to be hurt, to take up all your sin and pain and suffering and death and to be tragically hurt, and he will never, ever hurt you. To sit at his feet is to trust him, but secondly, it's also to love him. Why do you want to be so close to him? Why is it the insistent, urgent, essential cry of the church? Why is that prayer Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's because inseparable from trust is love. That one who has all power, but who became a servant for your sake and bore your sins in his body on the tree. That one who is beautiful in himself, who's full of glory and every good thing that you desire. You love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Ask yourself, do I sit at his feet? Do I trust him? Do I love him? And then thirdly, to sit at his feet is to be a disciple in this case. She was learning and listening. Do you learn? Do you desire for the life of Christ, the ways of Christ, the character of Christ to be written into your life? To sit at his feet is to trust, it is to love, and it is to learn. And this is what, Mary's, what Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. Within this story, we can say it's to sit at the feet of Christ, to trust him and love him and learn from him. And that's the good portion. And this is, again, where you go back to that uh, self-diagnosis. Mary has chosen the good portion. When we're distracted and anxious and troubled, we're choosing some other portion that's not so good. We're choosing something else that is not Christ. And so you have to ask yourself, am I choosing the good portion, which is Jesus? And Jesus warns, if you don't choose the good portion, it will be taken from you. That is, if that you give in to what feels so urgent and nagging, and you do these things, and you know they're not loving, but you have to get them done, 
and you're angry at Christ and others as you do them, all of that immediate satisfaction that you're trying to get will be taken from you. It will lead only to frustration and sin and regret. Choose Christ. It is a matter of choosing every moment of your life. I'm so resentful. I'm so angry this moment. What are you choosing? Instead, you repent and you say, I choose Christ. And again, why should you? Well, for your sake. Jesus didn't choose the good portion. He chose instead to be burdened with your sins. He chose to take up the cup of God's wrath that was filthy, steaming with iniquity, a horror to behold. He wasn't given the good portion. He was given the cup of God's wrath to drink for us, and he did that for us so that we could be saved, so that we could sit at his feet and trust him and love him and learn from him. Choose Jesus Christ. He is the good portion who will never be taken from you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we rejoice that you have given us your beloved son and that we can serve him and delight in him, and he gives us the heart that made him a servant. And so we pray that our faith in Jesus would work through love and that we would serve one another from the heart and that we would sit at his feet and we would trust him and love him and learn from him because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.